It's OLWJ Captivation, unlimited enthusiasm toward the future. The podcast introducing you to boundless superstars and other professional individuals who are capable of providing you information on achieving maximum success. Segments and episodes of the podcast will be devoted to financial wellness, for everyone deserves a shot at broadening their financial horizon. I am the host, Otis Lewis Wilson Jr. Welcome. Welcome to this episode of OLWJ Captivation. It is because of you, the audience and special guest, that this is all possible, and I thank you. It is greatly appreciated. My special guest on this episode is Sid Johnson, a.k.a. Uncle Jams. He has been around the music business, has worked with some great artists. He's a mentor, writer. He's done so much, and he has come aboard to tell his story. Without further ado, check out this interview with Uncle Jams right here on OLWJ Captivation. Uncle Jams, how are you, Mr. Johnson? I'm doing fairly well. How about yourself? I can't complain too much, sir. Welcome to the podcast. It's definitely a pleasure to have you here to share your knowledge and wisdom about music. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's definitely well welcomed. Let's get things started by you telling the audience a little bit about yourself. Wow, where do I begin? (laughs) (laughs) I like to consider myself to be music, and music is me. I've been fascinated by music ever since, I would say, since I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show in 1964. Uh, That's where I became fascinated enough to say that I want to do something about it and be in a band or make music or something. So I've worn many hats in music. I've been in bands. I've been a manager, music producer, songwriter, publisher, publicist, journalist, concert promoter, entertainment consultant, always doing something associated with music because I love music. That about really wraps up all the things that I do. This journey started a long time ago when I was in high school. I used to host talent shows Uh, on Friday evenings after school was out and we would go into the auditorium and I would have various local musicians come and play and from there I started to be in some bands and we played local gigs around town in Indiana uh, different parts of Indiana and ultimately I shifted my gears and Went on up a little bit higher with the thing. I started uh, hanging around these concert promoters called Sunshine Promotions. And with Sunshine Promotions, I sort of really cut my teeth on learning a lot about the business aspect of the music game. So then I started doing some research, reading some books and what have you. I hung around a lot of the rock stars of the 70s. I used to do interviews for my school newspaper. So I'm just really deeply baptized in the music game, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was the biggest break for you in the beginning? Probably in 1975, 
when I started managing this group called Manchild. And Manchild ultimately went on and got a national record deal and put out two albums. And in 1976, Kenny Edmonds, who would later be named Babyface by my cousin Bootsy Collins, that would probably be, be the biggest thing because as a result of managing Manchild and those associations, those things have carried on for four decades plus. Now, many people may not know about that group. I've heard some of their stuff. Talk to us about Manchild. Manchild was a self-contained group that consisted of, at its high point, seven people in the group. They had uh, Reggie Griffin, who was the leader. Reggie was a multi-instrumentalist. He played saxophone, keyboards, and was an incredible guitar player. It also had Anthony A.J. Johnson on bass guitar. May he rest in peace. He just passed this last December uh, on Christmas Eve. Uh, the drummer was Bobby Parson. The lead singer frontman was Kevin Flashbarrel. I used to refer to him as the Black Mick Jagger. And he also had the swag of James Brown. He was quite a lightning bolt on stage. Had Charles Chucky Bush on keyboards and it had uh, Kenny Babyface Edmonds on guitar and vocals and Daryl Summons on percussion. That was what Manchot was. They were Indianapolis born and raised and probably the most successful black group to come out of Indianapolis. They had charting records and played in different parts of the country. And once this group got established and got their position, what then happened? Well, in 1979, I was no longer their manager. Um, Kenny Edmonds left the group and he formed a new group called April, which was uh, named after the month that he was born. And he asked me to manage April. April then went on and cut some great demos. Nothing ever came out, but probably the greatest thing that happened during the April days that he and I wrote a song together called Slow Jam and Slow Jam ended up going on Midnight Star's uh, triple platinum No Parking on the Dance Floor album. So that was the next big thing that happened. Slow Jam. I'm sure a lot of people know about Slow Jam. <laughs> a great hit for Midnight Star. And uh, this, this hit has been covered quite a few times too. Am I right about that? That is correct. Probably the biggest cover came from Usher, who did that song featuring Monica. It was used uh, on the Soul Food um, soundtrack and also played in the movie. It was really nice to go see the movie and hear your song play in the movie, you know? <laughs> and with that song, in uh, combination with that, what also were you doing? Well, I ventured into various other things. I, at one point in time, after the April situation was no longer happening, I decided to get back into being a performer again, which was a terrible mistake because I really had said I wasn't going to do that anymore. But I uh, formed a band called The Sid, and we spelled that S-C-Y-I-D. It stood for Seven Courageous Young Intelligent Dudes. <laughs> <laughs> and we cut, some, uh, we cut some material, and we played some gigs, and I think I really had an incredible dose of stage fright one night. We played a gig at an army base, and 
former members of Manchild and a lot of other people had heard about this gig and they came out to that gig. And God, when I saw all those people walk in, I was like, oh no. <laughs> so that was what I did then. And uh, there's just been a lot of ventures in between then. Then at one point in time, I decided to retire from doing this uh, totally. And I still love music, but I just really didn't like the side of dealing with egotistical and temperamental artists. Because I really don't ever deal with people that are under 18 because then you have to manage them and their parents. And that becomes a real mm. problem because their parents always like to stick their nose in everything. And I don't have a problem with a parent being supportive, but like it's really rough when you've got to go get permission from a parent to do this or do that when you really need to sometimes move more quickly. So generally everybody that I've ever dealt with has been a legal adult 18 or above. <clears throat> so I decided to, I just didn't want to be an artist manager and be involved with artist direct anymore. So basically I used my skills to do a little writing behind the scenes, do some press releases for people. Then I was asked to speak at a music conference and after I got through speaking at the music conference, the young talent swarmed around me like cows, like flies going to a fresh cow dumping. <laughs> it was absolutely unbelievable and I heard some really good rappers and I heard a few good singers and there was this one young singer and he was really good. Next thing I know, a week later, we were down in Atlanta recording, and I'm like, here I am, back in this game again, and that was 2010. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when you found yourself making the transition back into music, what was on your mind in terms of what you were going to do next? What were you thinking about in terms of growth and transitions? You mean once I got back into music? Yes. What were you thinking about in terms of growth and transition from that point? Well, my biggest problem was I didn't like the direction of some of the lyrics and music. And I wanted music to have some wholesomeness, if you will. Uh, because during the period of time before I decided to get back in, there was a spell where I was dealing with some rappers and some of them did what people called uh, gangster rap and the language was very objectionable to me personally but that was kind of the flavor that was happening so I kind of just turned a deaf ear to that and ignored it and I just handled the business part of that I'm like okay it's like with pork I don't eat pork but if you eat pork okay that's on you so my thing was like mm -hmm. Okay, I don't care for them using the N-word, I don't care for them calling women the B-word, and I don't care for the F-bomb and all the things that they're saying, but I'll just pretend like I didn't hear that stuff. <laughs> and that's what I did for a period of time until I just got fed up with it, and then that's when I decided to get out of the game. Once I decided to get back in the game, I decided that I wanted to put music in a different place, if you will, and I started my own independent record label called MECAP Music, which is M-E-C-A-P. And from 2010 until 2014, I did allow the rappers to use some 
language that required a parental advisory sticker because everybody was grown and it was kind of difficult. But then I suddenly had a total, like the light bulb went off inside of my head and I was thinking, after my mom had passed, and I remember thinking all of my career in music, most of the bands practiced in my mom's basement. She knew everybody, cooked food for them and everything. And then one day I took this rap group and we were out on a tour. We went by our house and she prepared a fruit basket and some candies for them. And she said, bring the boys in. I want to hear their music. And I was like, hey, mom, I don't know. And she said, well, I like LL Cool J. And I said, well, this is nothing like LL Cool J. And so that was like really turning over and over in my mind. And I said, you know, I don't want to be a part of music that my mother can't listen to and that I can't be proud of. So in 2014, I put the hammer down and decided there will be no more parental advisory sticker music on MeCap music. So I had a conference call with all of my rap acts. And I told them, you know, no hard feelings. I wish you well if that's what you want to do. You can go hasta la vista, baby. So anybody that mm -hmm. doesn't want to adhere to the new policy, you can jump off the conference line. And guess what? Nobody right. jumped off. So, <laughs> um, so from 2014 now until now, so what are we? We've been eight years of clean, totally clean music. And that's my operating system. That's my modus operandi. It must be clean music. No F-bombs, no N-words, no calling women female dogs, none of that kind of stuff. We're just not going to do that over here. Well, that's awesome. And one of the groups that you've worked with is Field Mob from Albany, Georgia. Is that correct? Yes, and that's the group that I took by my mom's place. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah? yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, Field Mob uh, is an awesome group, and I have a friend of mine from Albany, Georgia, who actually uh, uh, had the privilege of working with Field Mob in their uh, early beginning. So that that is fantastic. Let let me ask you this: in terms of music and where it came from, where it transitioned to, and where it is now, what are your overall thoughts about it? What would you say about music? Well, before I answer that, I want to say that I thought the two guys in the field mob were incredibly talented. Uh, they were definitely very interesting characters. And as far as like the talent and their creative process, I have nothing bad to say about it. I don't hate on people that choose to use profanity and those kind of things in their music. That's them. I truly believe that everybody has a right to chart their own course. And with me having said that, that would be their lane, but it's not my lane. I would like for music to be more about quality than quantity. I would like for people to start to study their craft a whole lot more and not try to do the microwavable music where everything is just quick, fast, and in a hurry and it all sounds alike. I think integrity, decency, dedication, loyalty, commitment, and respect are all missing in the music of today. And I would like to see people get back to some of the old school ways, but with some new school tools. When you say new school tools, 
What are we talking about? What's a new school tool to you? What is social it? media? I mean, jeez, if if we had had cell phones, especially smartphones, back in the days of yeah. Manchild and April and all of those bands, even Midnight Star, mm-hmm. Babyface. I mean, we didn't have any of that stuff in the '60s, the '70s, the '80s, and most of the '90s. So once social media, you know really the internet and all that came into play, you can become an overnight sensation, literally, if you get enough followers, enough likes and things on a place like TikTok or Thriller these days, okay? But it doesn't mean that you have real talent. It doesn't mean that you have good quality, but you can be that lightning rod of people like, oh my God, have you heard such and such? And you go listen to it and then you go, what was that? But but right. a million people may say they like it because those million people that say they like it, they have been, shall we say, on a steady diet of McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's all of their life, and they don't know what it's like to sit down and have a real four-course meal, okay? So that's mm-hmm. kind of why we have things the way they are. They don't have anything to compare it to. Like those of us that are older and more mature, we remember the way it was, and now we have to live with the way it is. But the people that were born in the way it is, they have no sense of connection to the way it was. Right, right. And some way down the line, we lost that. When I listen to a song like uh, Slow Jam, and there's been some good music since then, but man, have we really lost that way? And I, I can see what you're talking about in terms of social media being being a part of that. Um, let's let's go back to your days working with someone uh, like Babyface, for example, and your days of writing music like that. What was your driving force behind writing? good music what drove you to write good music well personally I think he is one of the premier songwriters of our lifetime Um, he doesn't really need any help from anyone else (laughs) and it's just a wonderful thing when he allows you to be a part of his creativity and he is an immensely talented and creative guy and I'm proud to say that he's a friend I, would, I wouldn't trade in the friendship for any other kind of business relationship with him because friendship can last. You know, people that are managers and things like that, they have contracts and those have expiration dates. But a real friend, it doesn't have an expiration date. So I'll take the friendship any day. And just to be around his creativity and to hear what he's accomplished since I've known him since he was about 15, started working with when he was 18 it's kind of like wow you know you see this guy that you've known as a teenager who has now ascended to being in the songwriters hall of fame getting all kind of grammys all kind of accolades um, a star on the walk of fame in hollywood being able to stay in the white house and being able to hobnob with several of the presidents that we've had in this country Uh, Being able to work with Paul McCartney, Mick Jagger, Rod Stewart, Barbara Streisand, Aretha Franklin, Stevie Wonder, uh, you know, this is incredible 
to say, hey, I know this guy. So, you know, that's, that's probably the highlight of my music career in terms of someone that I know on that level. And so it's just, it's just a great thing. Other people out there who are looking to get into the music profession, what type of advice would you give to them? Don't do it. No, I'm serious. <laughs> First of all, recognize what it is that you are trying to achieve from getting into it. If you want to be a star, well, let's define what a star is. Do you want to make good music? Do you want to have music that has longevity? Or do you just want to be the current trend? Also, make sure that you have your business together. There are so many things that you need to know. There's the music, there's the music business, there's the music industry. And you need to know how each one of those entities work. Failure to know that, then it's not going to go anywhere for you. Nowadays, this game is about 95% business and 5% about music. No one cares about how great you rap. No one cares about how great you sing. No one cares about how great you play the guitar or the keyboards or the saxophone or the bass or the drums, etc. It is about can you put paying bodies in a venue? Can you generate music that resonates with enough people that you can garner enough streams? And can you, unfortunately, get enough likes and follows on social media to where you attract the attention of the big guns? And that's what it's about now. That's where we are. Would you say that there are some people who are afraid to touch social media? And if they are, what must they do to change their thought process of social media? Social media is something that can be looked at as an acquired taste, if you will. It's like there are certain seasonings that you put on food that you don't want to put too much of it on there. You want to put just enough. Some people overuse social media and some people use it for the wrong reasons. You've got to know how to use social media and not let social media use you. It is a very important tool. Many of the old school people now have Twitter accounts. Uh, they have Instagram accounts, they have TikTok and all of that kind of stuff because they know that's where it is. There's not really record stores anymore like there were back in the day where people can go and buy physical copies of music. I mean, the biggest thing that's happening in music besides the streams is vinyl. But how many people have a record player? <laughs> I mean, today's younger kids, they don't know anything about a record player. Many of them don't even know anything about a CD or a cassette. They grew up on in streaming. So you've got to know what's going on in the current times that you're in in order to be able to find a way to embrace it, deal with it, and forge a path forward. So that falls in tandem with what you're asking. With social media, if you're afraid to use it, then this is not the business for you because it's social media driven. More people check out social media than they listen to terrestrial radio. Absolutely. I would definitely agree with that. 
when we think about music and the entertainment industry overall, I would say that there are so many people who don't listen. It kind of goes back to what you were saying about getting out of the industry because of dealing with, you know, the whole parent factor and, and kids and that type of thing. What would you say to someone who doesn't want to listen overall? In other words, someone who doesn't want to take advice from someone else. Well, if What would you say to them about making a change? In other words, what do they need to do to learn to get better? I like to deal with people that like to be human sponges. That like to hang around me, an OG person that's been there, done that, and you absorb the knowledge. Because if we can work in that kind of kinship, then maybe you can teach me some of the things about the new tools that I don't know. Like I have a cousin who's a rapper on my label, and he's really good at working social media and knowing a lot of the new stuff. So we have a great relationship, and me being the OG and teaching him the old ways, and he teaches me a lot of things about the, the new ways. And, you know, he can get a little pig-headed sometimes because a lot of these younger people, they think they know it all, only to not know anything. So there's nothing in the world that is going to beat experience. If you have never dipped your toes in the water, you won't know what it feels like to get your toes wet. So if you can mm -hmm. tell me all about what it's like to get your toes wet, but you've never dipped your toes in the water, then I don't really want to listen to you. And this is what we have with a lot of today's young little whippersnappers. They know it all, but they don't know anything. And if they could bother sometimes to sit down and listen, of course, they will say that older people don't listen to them, that older people talk at them rather than to them. And then we probably say that they're disrespectful and they're hard-headed and all of that kind of stuff. But if everybody could just come to the conference table and share with each other, I think we'd be a whole lot better. You know, these some of the young rappers out here today that make some of the mistakes they make with the uh, drugs and the gun violence and the petty beefs that they have with each other, it would be nice, in my opinion, if some of the OG rappers, the legendary ones, could sit down and school some of these young bucks about some things. But see, the young bucks, they already have the attitude that they know it all, and then they don't have respect for the older rappers. And like, I remember there was a hip-hop, uh, BET Hip-Hop Awards, and when LL Cool J came on stage one time. A lot of people in the audience were yelling out insults and some of them were saying things like, go sit down, dinosaur, and stuff like that, you know. And how disrespectful, mm -hmm. you know. Nobody tells Aerosmith or the Rolling Stones or the Who to go sit down, you know. The young people were there being supportive. They want to learn something about that music that influenced their parents and their grandparents. But it seems like in the world of hip-hop slash rap, uh, it's the younger people are more into the trendy stuff of what's happening right at the moment rather than going back and getting any sort of knowledge about the people from yesteryear. You know, now we don't have the people right. that really spit bars much anymore, like the Rock Hems and the Tretch of Naughty by Nature or the Andre 3000s or 
or, so true, or, or so common true. or people like that. You know, and I'm not trying to knock any of the younger people, and I'm not even going to say any of their names. But boy, there's not much originality when many of them have similar names, and it's difficult to tell one from the other. When we think about careers and the things that you know we've done in terms of your career, if you could do something different to make your career better, what would that be? That's a very interesting question, and in all of the interviews that I've ever done, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question before. I would probably just say, and if somebody asked me the same question five weeks from now, I might have a different answer, but since this is the first time this has been sprung on me, I'm just going to have to come off the top of the head. I think <laughs> that maybe... Rather than wearing so many hats, maybe I would have focused in on just one or maybe two, two lanes and stick to it. Maybe that would be an answer uh, because there are several things that I'm really good at. And um, I don't know, like for me, I have some other people that are support mechanisms for me and me cap, but they can't do what I do. And people say, well, why don't you delegate some of the responsibility to your board members sometimes? Well, they have their own strengths. But the things that I know, I know. And the time that it would take me to try to teach them, I could have done it myself. <laughs> so that's kind of where <laughs> I am. I, I don't like to take a lot of time out to go through the rudimentary things with somebody I would rather just you listen to me and absorb what I'm saying and then you take it from there but to go all the way back to the alpha to try to get you up to the omega that's too time-consuming for me if you had to answer the question what is the definition of the word boundless what would be your answer the definition of the word boundless. That would be, to me, a person that has no limitations in going about whatever needs to be done to get done what they want to have done. I like that. Good answer, good answer. Well, Uncle James, it's been a pleasure to have you here. And my friend, I've listened to you talk and you have definitely got some wisdom, some great musical knowledge that I've heard you share. And I just want to thank you so much uh, for being a guest on the podcast. And do you have some social information, some social information that you want to share with the audience so that they can perhaps check you out and see what you've got going on. Yes, you can follow me on Twitter at Uncle Jams, U-N-C-L-E-J-A-M-Z. It's the same name on Instagram, except there's an underscore after the Z, because I can't find the rascal that doesn't have the underscore. Tell him, leave my name alone. <laughs> so that's U-N-C-L-E-J-A-M-Z underscore on Instagram. I also have a Facebook musician band page, which is 
Uncle Jams, U-N-C-L-E-J-A-M-Z. We have a Meek Cap Music and Entertainment page on Facebook, M-E-C-A-P, Music and Entertainment. And we have a YouTube channel called MeCap Music, M-E-C-A-P-M-U-S-I-C. Those are my various social medias. I have a TikTok page, but don't expect to go there and see any content because I'm not ready to get that silly yet. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe one day, but not right now. (laughs) Not right now. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, Uncle James. Well, hey, you take care. Keep doing the great things you're doing, and we will definitely be in touch. Thank you very much for having me. You stay safe. Everybody stay safe out there, and you have a great time. And keep some R-E-S-P-E-C-T for one another. And remember, it doesn't take a whole lot to try to understand, have some love, and some tolerance for other people rather than have petty beefs. To learn more about me, visit my website at www.olwjboundless.com. There you can subscribe to the podcast mailing list. Follow me on Twitter at OLWJ Boundless. Follow me on Instagram at O underscore Wilson underscore Junior. Read my blog or check out my financial services where I can come in to help you become debt free and financially independent. Any comments, feedback, or suggestions regarding this podcast is welcome. For a motivational speaker, Les Brown once said, it's okay to fail because if you land on your back, you can look up and then get up. Until next time, take care.